This morning's scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. And when I saw the length of this scripture, I wished I'd waited before saying yes into reading it this morning. (laughs) After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left Egypt, and left for Egypt, excuse me, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Rama. Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Jason. Lord, we lift Jason to you and we ask that you would anoint him, Lord, to speak your word of truth and life. And as the hearers today, Lord, we ask as we listen to this familiar passage that you would speak to us afresh, Lord with um, new revelation and inspiration, Lord, that we might be transformed and our relationship with you deepened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Just like to take a pause for a second and just change gears a little bit. Uh, They sometimes call this in the Psalms a selah, uh, a pause, and... um, I was just saying hi to a few people this morning. Vic was one of them in particular. And um, 
he just mentioned to me something. I hope you don't mind if I share, but he had a root canal on Friday. And obviously that's a lot of pain. I've had one, a couple myself actually. And he said the pain returned even worse than it was on Friday. So that's not good. You know, Jesus cares about these things. Also, seems like this is a couple of teeth related stuff here. Ethan um, is having pain in his rear back jaw, like tooth area. Took him to the dentist and she took an x-ray and he has to have a wisdom tooth removed Monday. So that's been causing him some pain. And then Emre just started complaining about a, a similar type thing. He might have a wisdom tooth coming out. So what I'd like to do is get three of them to stand. And then if we around them could just lay hands on them and let's just believe and pray for a healing for them right now. So if you could, if you could do that, Ethan, Emre, Vic, if you could stand. Ethan at the back there, just stand. If you could just lay hands on Ethan as well. We serve a God who heals. Amen. Amen. Don't be shy. Ethan doesn't bite. Not too hard, at least. <laughs> Not today. Amen. So let's just stretch our hands forth those who are away from them. So Heavenly Father, we know that you care about the smallest details in our lives. Again, Jesus, you are our healer. By your blood, and by your stripes, we are healed. And there is healing and miracles in that powerful name of Jesus. So we just declare the healing power of, of Jesus over Vic, of Ethan, over Emma, especially their mouths and where this pain and problems are, are being caused. God, we just ask that you would heal them right now in Jesus' name. All pain go in Jesus' name. And God, would you just uh, help bring resolution, especially to Vic, where this pain is continuing. Give the dentist wisdom, but God, we know that you can even take care of it now. So we just, we just commit these things into your hands, Lord, and we just pray for a miracle for each, each of them, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jesus cares about the, the details. I just was thinking about the one story. He was walking along the road with all the people following him, and then uh, the man cried out, Jesus, son of David. And he could have just kept on walking, but he, he stopped and he, he paid attention to the one. And so I feel like we needed to do that this morning. Anyway, just to go back to the story, what do you think about when you think about these magi or wise men from the Christmas story? What comes to mind? Do you think about the typical Christmas pageant with Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus in a manger? We, we thought about that. So I heard about that last week. That probably wasn't even true. Typically, a few shepherds come on the scene, you know, the kids dressed up with their little staffs and maybe some fluffy sheep or sometimes even get real sheep to come out. And then after that, you, you know, the angel appears, maybe just before the shepherds. And then lastly, the three, three wise men show up and they present their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But do you ever really stop to think about these wise men? I mean, were there only three? Did they appear the same time as the shepherds? Why did they even come? They probably weren't from Israel, and they weren't even Jewish. And what was the significance of Jesus' birth to them? I would like to suggest that the story of these magi is one of faith, worship, and change. 
Sunday, uh, last Sunday, Robin explained uh, that the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, they're only two Gospels that explain this story of Jesus's birth, the Savior of the world. He talked about the good news to the poor by looking at the story of the poor shepherds responding to the news of the newly born Messiah from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Today, I will be talking about good news without borders. And we will be looking at the story of the Magi from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew is the only gospel that talks about uh, these Magi. It's not mentioned. So who are these mysterious men? And where are they from? What was this strange star that they followed? And why did they travel so far to come and worship this baby Jesus? I will answer and also look at what this means for us today. So magi is a strange word. What does it mean? It comes from the Greek word magos, which means wise man or sorcerer. This is also from the, where we get the word magician. In the Old Testament, it was a name given by the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and others to a broad category of people, wise teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, soothsayers, sorcerers. So it covers uh, you know, a lot of categories, a lot of functions. Before we continue with who these wise men were, I should mention the text does not say how many there were. The word magi is plural, so there were at least two of them, but probably more. Now to take such a long, perilous journey across the desert, they probably would have gone in a group. And they had very valuable treasures with them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So it made sense that there were enough of them protect, to protect them from potential thieves along the way. So in ver- verse 2 of our text, it says these magi came from the east, east of Jerusalem, that is. It's very likely that these wise men were associated with the wise men in Babylon, mentioned in the book of Daniel. In about 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He besieged it, and he defeated the city. He took back to Babylon some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, and Daniel was one of these young men. Now, I love the book of Daniel. When I was young, it was a young man that I aspired to be one day because he just has such an amazing story. So this young man was taken to Babylon, and he was groomed to enter the king's. It was a three-year grooming process. After one year of this grooming process, this king Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and they deeply troubled him so that he couldn't sleep. He summoned his wise men to tell him not just what the dream meant, but also what he dreamed. I mean, that sounds a little unreasonable, don't you think? I mean, if I came to you and say, I had a dream last night. I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed, but I want you to tell me what I dreamed and to interpret it. And I think you would probably say, That's impossible. And that's what the wise man told this King Nebuchadnezzar. No man can do this. So the king was deeply disturbed. And he said, that's it. I'm going to put all of you to death. So he sent out the decree. And Daniel, he was in this group and he heard about what the king wanted to do. And so he approached the king and said, King, would you give me some time and I'll be able to interpret the dream for you. So Daniel prayed to God. Obviously, he prayed by himself. 
He prayed to God and God showed him not just the interpretation, but the actual dream itself. After Daniel told the king what he had dreamed and its meaning, this is what the scripture reads in Daniel 2, 46 to 48. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. So we can see that Daniel had incredible favor from God. He had the ability to interpret dreams. He went into a lion's den and wasn't harmed. He had visions and dreams about this coming ruler or Messiah and even the approximate time he would come. A lot of people don't even realize that, you know, the coming of the Messiah was not just random. Actually, it was prophesied way before. Daniel 7, 13 to 14 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass, and his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 9.25 says, this is talking about the time. No one understands this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler, comes. There will be 70, uh, seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, this has been interpreted to be 483 years. You can go back and do some of the math, but that's pretty precise. I'm sure that as a ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and as leader of all its wise men, Daniel's visions and dreams of this coming ruler, Messiah, were shared with all these wise men in Babylon. And if we were correct about these wise men, who they were and where they came from, then we can also probably assume that the journey took them at least a few months or longer to arrive. In verse 7 of our text, it says, Then Herod called the Magi, secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared so that he could pinpoint exactly how old the boy must have been. Later, he proceeded to have all the baby boys killed who were two years or younger. This would indicate that Jesus had been born up to two years earlier. So the wise man did not arrive at the same time as the shepherds. Sorry to burst your bubble. Because the shepherds arrived at Jesus' birth. And the wise men most likely arrived one to two years later. Okay, we can also guess how these wise men star. This star was mentioned in the book of Numbers and was prophesied by a strange character called Balaam. Balaam was a kind of soothsayer or seer, and he was from a place called Pethor, which was near Babylon. Now, his prophecy about the star represented a ruler was most likely told to these wise men by Daniel. And this information was passed down from generation to generation of wise men. Let's read about that prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 to 19. I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise of Israel. He will crush the heads of, the, of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Seth. Adam will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Once again, you see this theme of this ruler, messiah, savior, this messianic figure. So both the scepter and ruler here mentioned in Balaam's prophecy point to this coming king. This prophecy is just one of many messianic prophecies mentioned in the Old Testament about this coming Messiah in Genesis, uh, beginning in Genesis 3.15, right at the beginning, when we see God saying to the serpent, after the serpent deceived Eve, God said to him, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, meaning Jesus, and you will strike his heel, talking about time on the cross. So these wise men knew about the star and approximately when this ruler king would be born and in what country, but what kind of star did they see? It must have been a really special star. There are some theories that talk about the star being a comet um, or an alignment of a few planets. But I heard another theory recently that I really think has some merit. The star may not have been an astronom- uh, astronomical object at all. Let's examine what it says in the text. These wise men said, we saw, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So the star appeared at the moment of Jesus' birth and was visible to these wise men from Babylon. But traditional images that we see in the media or over the years, we see that these wise men are actually traveling the desert following a star. It doesn't say that in the text. It doesn't say that they followed it. From the description, it seems that the star reappeared in Matthew 2, verse 9. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is a really strange star. How could a star of the universe go ahead of them and then stop over a place? It can't. Bethlehem, if you've been there, I have. It's south of Jerusalem. You know, stars do not travel south. They move west across the sky. They do not stop over places like this one did. What could it be that would have moved this way? A good candidate for this could be the pillar of fire mentioned in the book of Exodus, as the Israelites were led by God in the wilderness. Let's read Exodus 40, 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted, From above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all Israelites during all their travels. The book of Nehemiah also refers to this pillar of cloud in Nehemiah 9, verse 12. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night a pillar of fire, to give them light on the way they were to take. This pillar of fire is also known as the Shekinah glory of God. Because of this, this Shekinah glory was a light that could move and point to the presence of God. 
This could suggest that the star seen in Matthew 2 may not have been an astronomical object, but the actual presence after a few hundred years of absence of the Shekinah glory of God. Think about it. In such a pivotal point in history, would it not make sense for God the Father to demonstrate his glory in this way at the birth of his son, Jesus, the Messiah? I think it's a definite possibility. So we have taken a look at some of these mysteries concerning these wise men from the East, considered where they were from and how many there were and what time they came. We've considered what the star could have actually been when they arrived in Jerusalem. But it also begs another question. If they knew about these messianic prophecies from Daniel, why did they go to Jerusalem and not to Bethlehem? Could it be that they hadn't heard about the, about the prophet Micah's prophecy about the birthplace of the Messiah? Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are small among the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. It could be that going to Jerusalem was the logical place to go and look for a king. If the I was born in Bethlehem, it would make sense that he would move five kilometers north to Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel and the place where kings of old would rule. So what lessons can we learn from these wise men from the East? As I said in my introduction, I believe their story is one of faith, worship, and change. These wise men had heard the good news, the gospel of this coming Messiah, and they safely left the comfort of home, traveled months, if not years, and endured hardships across the desert to come and worship this foreign king. That takes great faith. If they all had read these ancient prophecies from a Jewish wise man called Daniel, and they obviously believed in this God of Daniel and the Jews, and they risked it, risked, uh, risked it all to come and worship him. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The only way to come to Jesus is by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Our challenge today for ourselves is do we have the faith of these wise men? Do we believe God and what he has said in his word? Are we willing to give, it, give up everything for the sake of Christ, even our families and our lives? This is the kind of faith that it takes to follow Jesus. This is a tough scripture to read, but it talks about this very thing. in Matthew. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. These are tough words. But consider all that Jesus paid for us. He laid down his life by dying on a cross so that we might be saved and brought into his wonderful kingdom. All he asks of us is that we would serve him with full devotion and make him number one in our lives. Now, these wise men were also the first foreigners recorded who came to worship Jesus. They brought him valuable gifts of gold, frankincense.
frankincense and myrrh. These would be the first of many foreigners. Look around this room today. How many of us are here to worship Jesus? This is good news that Jesus Christ is not just for the Jews or for a select few. God's intention all along was that all would be, would be saved. Psalm 86, 9 to 10 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And Timothy 1, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 6 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Let us not be like these chief priests and teachers of the law in our story. King Herod had called these religious men together and asked them where this Messiah was to be born. They responded by quoting the prophet Micah, which I read earlier. They knew the scriptures well, and they could probably quote them word for word. Their hearts were far from God. They knew about God and about the Messiah, but they didn't know him. They knew about the Messianic prophecies probably a lot better than these foreign wise men. So why didn't they to Bethlehem to seek and worship this prophesied Messiah. I mean, these teachers of the law, they were five kilometers away and they didn't go. Why? It begs the question. I propose that they were too interested in wealth, fame, and authority that they received from being religious leaders. They had the so-called Christian title and yet they missed the Savior, the coming of the Savior of the world. Later in Jesus' ministry, he spoke directly to these religious leaders in John 5, 39 to 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come and have life. Jesus was talking to them. Let us not merely call ourselves Christians and live our lives the way we want, thinking about what we can gain. But let us truly seek to know and worship the Lord Jesus the way he asks us to, by taking our cross and following him. To quote Keith Green, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's time to quit playing church and start being the church. Lastly, the wise men, after encountering Jesus, were changed. They came to Bethlehem one way, sorry, Jerusalem one way, but having been warned, warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned back to their country by another route. They realized that Herod's words to come and worship Jesus were actually quite the opposite. When we come to Jesus in faith with a heart of worship, we are changed. We cannot encounter the Savior of the world and not leave changed. It's impossible. When we receive the good news of Jesus Christ and we're filled with his spirit, we become a new person altogether. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Encountering Jesus, my friends, changes lives. When Jesus encounters the sick, he heals them. When Jesus encounters the demon-possessed, he sets them free. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless and peace to the restless. 
Jesus loves the unloved. There is no sin too great for him or place too dark for him. For he is light and love. It doesn't matter if you are young or old, local or foreigner, black or white or anything in between. Jesus is calling you. And will you respond to him?